It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of American Loser live up on the penthouse f- level. The oh, penthouse level. Top floor, top shelf. Of a shared universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. We're only the best for the best. Yeah. I know it, man. The rest of the, the podcasters here, uh, once you get the numbers we got, then you can come up to the fifth floor. For now, you're on the third floor still. There okay? you go. You listening? Hang on to your shorts film festival. <laughs> but, We're calling you out, CJ. That's, <laughs> I love those guys, man. I haven't seen them in a minute, but... Uh, we're here, uh, Mike and Ming taking great care of us. The new fifth floor is killer. Can we admit that, Dad? Absolutely, absolutely. This is we're feeling fancier and fancier we, we as were, we go. We were feeling pretty good on the third floor, but now up here on the penthouse top floor, it's like life is life is good. We're gonna have some pretty good parties up here, I think. Absolutely. Um, now, also the uh, the other thing that's worth noting is that uh, I don't know if. This is a sign of the success of our show and the success of the studio in general, or if Ming literally just needed more room for all of his comic book shit. He's just trying to beat the (laughs) landlord out of the third floor. I think it's all of the above, to be completely honest with you. And we're here. The plumbing works. Life is good, guys. And the bathrooms are unlocked. (laughs) Unlocked. Unlocked. (laughs) We're moving on up. And if you vagrant homeless walking the streets of Eatontown, fifth floor bathroom, all right? Nice and warm. All right, all right. Don't be giving away that. Why are you guys... Shitting on the premise that homeless people are able to listen to this podcast. Well, <laughs> it's our audience. Uh, of course, behind the ones and twos, you know his voice by now, guys. He is He's part of the show, all right? It's, it feels different when you're not in here, pal. The Big Kahuna. How are you feeling today, buddy? I'm good, man. Honestly, I'm I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> I, I was telling you guys before the show yesterday, we shit. So when I found yeah. out you guys were coming in. Big old smile. There, like, you this is great. there you go. Yeah, for those who uh, don't want, we won't give away too much of this personal information, but Kahuna has been diagnosed with the coronavirus. So I have. That's a- Kahuna I'll Corona? Dead, I'll be dead in a week. The Kahuna virus? <laughs> that's right. I'm slowly turning into a big Kahuna burger. It's a, yeah, well, actually, the Kahuna virus slowly turns people into puppets. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is my lucky day. So throughout the podcast, I'll just start, suddenly just start sounding like Grover. That's <laughs> The puppet master. Well, uh, there is that game we talked about. We've done it a couple of times on the show uh, where it was um, it was a meme that uh, someone sent around, but it was... Uh, cast a movie with Muppets. Yeah, cast a movie, right? T- take a movie right now as it is, and you're allowed one human actor, and the rest has to be played by Muppets. Muppets. So I think we're going to play that into Today's Loser a little bit, too, because it gets... It's a dark story, but it's a little bit funnier if it's Muppets involved. Yeah, oh, wouldn't really. it be great if it was a, a bowl full of Muppets? <laughs> <laughs> Beaker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do declare it looks like the boat is burning. <laughs> I'm one of the good guys. <laughs> but uh, we got a great episode for you today. Um, LP and I uh, were researching this one. I want to preface it real quick if I can because I did a uh, – I was a guest on a podcast maybe a year or so ago with um, two guys I consider myself to be friends with, um, two great comics I really enjoy working with, uh, Giannis Pappas and Chris Stefano. And Chris and I are working together. We've we've worked a bunch of times, and he's a hilarious comic, awesome dude. 
they have a like really a very funny podcast, like a laugh out loud funny podcast called History Hyenas, where it's them kind of riffing and doing like uh, you know it, it's it, they're a comedy show that talks about history. We're a history show that's funny sometimes. Um, so there's no competition in my mind for that stuff. But uh, they invited me on as a guest to talk about the USS Indianapolis, which I think we would agree is one of the biggest maritime disasters in history, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. In, in a nutshell, for those who don't know, that was the ship that delivered the atomic bomb, okay? And then their mission was so secret that no one really knew where they were. And then when they got sunk by a Japanese torpedo, there was no rescue to come out for them. So the guys were sitting there waiting in the water, just watching sharks circle them. Right. And they got one by one, people started going down. You know, what's that the great line from uh, Jaws? I'm going to need a bigger boat. Black eyes. <laughs> like a doll's eyes. Yeah. And one Lifeless, by one. Yeah. <laughs> Lifeless doll's eyes. So I figured that would be a shoo-in for the biggest maritime disaster in American history. There's and one bigger. You could argue, too, that the Titanic, since it was supposed to come to New York, maybe you'd call that an American loser. But uh, in our research, we found we found the granddaddy of them all. That's okay? it. This is the Rose Bowl of maritime disasters. Also, before you continue, wouldn't you consider the Titanic a Canadian loser? It did sink off the coast of Newfoundland, right? Uh, well, this one always makes me laugh because it was uh, it was built in Ireland, right? And um, so it was built over in Ireland, and then it took I forget where the initial sail was coming. But it was supposed to wind up in New York, which, by the way, that's my favorite scene in Ghostbusters too. Oh yeah, when when, the, when it shows up, <laughs> yeah. When the... There's some dock supervisor down at Pier 34. <laughs> What's the problem? He says the Titanic just arrived. Titanic just giant, ghostly on this dock, and he then cut the to line. the window. Cheech Marin. Yep. Well, <laughs> better late than never. <laughs> oh man, that is such a, a scene-stealing movie there too. Um, but uh, I think we talked about it too that the Hindenburg was supposed to arrive as well. You said right. Hin- yeah, it was originally supposed to be the Hindenburg, Wild stuff. but it was deemed too expensive. I don't blame them, man. Because they were—they actually wanted to, this is kind of grim, but they actually wanted to go out to the spot where it happened to film. You mean here in New Jersey? Yeah, they were supposed yeah. to come out <laughs> to New Jersey. So Cousin Kate wants to go still, too, so we got to put that together. I do, too. Field uh, trip. Especially yeah. this summer. Let's do it. Let's have Easter. Road trip. Let's have Easter at the site of the Hindenburg crash, Dad. <laughs> Sounds like that? fun. Yeah. <laughs> but what is the biggest American... Oh, this this maritime disaster, disaster, baby. This one's money right here, okay? So um, in films, we like uh, disaster movies, you know, The Poseidon Adventure. Right. That was a good one, The Towering Inferno. Uh, this disaster we're going to cover today. Uh, you forgot airport. Airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting move here because uh, I don't know if I'd want to see a movie about this one. That's how grim the yeah, story this goes. Is, this is dark right from start to finish. Not a whole lot of heroism, is it? You know, no. It's not... It's, it's bad. It's a lot of greed. It's going to move on here. Make a great Muppet movie. So it's a <laughs> Well, I know who would be the villain in this one. But uh, just to set the scene here for you guys, on April 27th, 1865, the soon-to-be-infamous steamship Sultana exploded and sank on the Mississippi River, killing an estimated over 1,800 people. Uh, now that we've set the tone, please enjoy the story of the deadliest maritime disaster in American history, Steamship Sultana. So we taught my father one good word on this show. Anyone want to guess what it is? Go ahead. Zeitgeist. <laughs> oh, Zeitgeist. Yeah, the Zeitgeist Which of the Times. German for Spirit of the Times. Spirit so, of the Times. Um, but uh, you want to set up the Zeitgeist for us here, LP? What's going on in the nation at this time? Well, in 1865, I mean, we're we're seeing the, the closeout of the the Civil War, which was the de- deadliest war of uh, all time for the U.S. As a matter of fact, we've had more 
war deaths than all the other previous wars combined. So um, it, it, it is absolutely sad times that the U.S. has been going through four years of civil war. And now finally in uh, 1865, things are starting to come to a close. Um, by April of that year, we've already had Lee's surrender to Grant at Appomattox Courthouse. That was April the 9th. Right, which just as a little note for some people, there's a lot of people that think that's the end of the Civil War. That is not. It's not. That is Lee surrendering the Army of Northern Virginia. Right. That so, was only one of the Confederate armies that right. have now surrendered. It was probably the most famous. And, of course, you have the, the big... The big guys going against the other big guys with Lee versus Grant. And, it's the uh, beginning of the end. It's the be- it's, it's absolutely the beginning of the end. It's Doc Hopper confronting Kermit the Frog in the Western Ooh. Showdown. <laughs> there you go, Nick Franco. You love me. <laughs> <laughs> you know Nick's listening, man. He just got a new job, by the way, and he said that uh, he mentioned our podcast in the interview, and I was like, how did... How, and you what? still got the job? <laughs> but uh, All right, so Appomattox Courthouse has happened. Appomattox Courthouse on? has already happened on April the 9th. Okay, now... Just a few days later, sadly, we saw the assassination of Lincoln on April the 14th. So Mr. and Mrs. Lincoln goes to Ford Theater to see the show, and uh, Booth assassinates uh, Lincoln. He dies the next day on the on the, on the the 15th. Now, for more on that, check out the Mary Todd Lincoln episode we did on uh, this very podcast. Yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, a cross-pollination there. Uh, what would you call a... A loser inception. Loserception. Loserception. Yeah, so that's as close as we get on this one, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, there was there was a couple of other little back and forths uh, with previous episodes, but um, well, this one's in the same cinematic universe. It's just not affiliated oh, totally. with the Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> that's why people think that history is boring. It's like I don't think you understand everything that's happening. It's happening all at once. So there is a Game of Thrones vibe to this, where Mary Todd Lincoln is, uh, you know. She's now widowed right here. Andrew Johnson, another person we've covered, is being sworn in as the president right now. And these poor bastards uh, who are just getting done with, um, you know, what they're hoping is the end of the war for them. Yeah, I mean, people are on an emotional roller coaster for sure. I mean, they're, they're just four years of death and destruction and, and maiming and, you know, it's just uh, sad times with a lot of people being injured and killed and uh Again, four four years of a long drawn out affair, and every death is an American death, whether you're Confederate or whether you're Union. Right. It's, it's it's an American it, yeah. death. Um, uh, on the fourteenth, Lincoln is assassinated. Um, the country now goes from the high of Lee surrendering. Well, at least the North goes to the high of Lee surrendering to Grant. For the South, it's a it's a very despondent that. Lee just surrendered to Grant, so like all is lost kind of a thing. So there's a whole big back and forth. Um, well, there's one big swing in Dick left with the Confederacy, a pretty good general. Yeah, well, out it, in Tennessee. Well, in that same month of April, now, um, you know, there's a, a nationwide manhunt for Booth to find, you know, Lincoln's uh, assassin. Um, he is finally found, captured, and killed on uh, April the 26th. So, you know, 12 days, 12 days later now, they finally find Booth. They capture him. He was killed in his capture. There's a lot of different speculation with that whole thing. But uh, on the same day, um, one of the major Confederate armies that still has not yet surrendered finally does surrender with uh, Joe Johnston, a Confederate general, 
and he surrenders, well, some estimates put it about 75,000 guys. So with Lee's surrender and now Johnston uh, surrendering, that's pretty much the end of the Confederacy. There's only small little fragments of uh, Yeah, at that point, the only one left up. is uh, Josie Wales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, that's on the 26th, and then leads us right into our, our, uh, into our topic of today with the Sultana. Well, I want to, uh, now that we got the zeitgeist, I want to break down what this ship looked like for people. So you hear steamship, I always think of, uh, you know, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn kind of a thing, you know. Uh, but this steamship, pretty impressive, first of all, just to be powered off of steam. That's literally what battleships were being powered off of up until about World War II. It was a paddle wheeler for, for people who don't, for people who uh, who want that little description. Instead of having the big wheel at the back, it had the two... The side wheeler. The two side well wheels said, that would brother. power it. Right, right. It's a Mississippi riverboat in the all the... Uh, Which were pretty advanced for TV the time, TV and, right? and, and movie westerns. Yeah, it, when it was built and it was... Um, it wasn't that old of a ship. And, uh, no, relatively it, it new. Was, it was originally built... Um, for the cotton trade, that it was taking cotton down the lower Mississippi, because again, the Mississippi River um, is huge, and different style uh, ships would be built depending on where they were plying their trade. So well, this was uh, for the lower Mississippi, and originally built to uh, to haul um, cotton primarily and and passengers. Um, now you can't shut down a water. You can do a blockade on a waterway, but you can't tear up the tracks of a waterway like you can with a railroad. <laughs> right. So, right. little guy by the name of uh, William Tecumseh Sherman's doing total war, cutting through the South right, right now. So, the river relatively still a safe passage over here. Well, it was that was a, a, a key uh, point to whoever controlled the, the Mississippi was going to control the, the transportation, and it really. That really is what cut the uh, the Confederacy apart. And you mentioned oh Sherman. It was Joe Johnston who surrendered to Sherman. Um, so, you know, the, the end of hostilities are, are pretty much a, a foregone conclusion at this point because there's nobody left that's really going to be significant. I think I just stumbled onto another loserception as we're talking here. I had forgotten that some of the, the most effective uh, fighting on the, the Mississippi River was being done by Confederate raiders. And I believe that that would be the instance in our original, um, our first Black History Month episode that we did, when we had who the the debate between who was the uh, the first African American to win the Medal of Honor. Oh right, right. That 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 mystery man, the Superman, the John Henry Irons or whatever, who right. just appeared out of nowhere and started moving cannonballs around. They were right. saved. They were under attack by Confederate raiders on the Mississippi, I believe. So another loserception here for you. All right. So the the war, for all intents and purposes, is now over. Um, and communication is still all screwed up because the North and the South really pretty much severed any communication, telegraph lines and that kind of stuff between the North and the South. So even news of Lincoln's assassination still hasn't gotten to um, the Deep South. Um, the news of Lee's surrender still hasn't really gotten to the Deep South. So, there's, so this is pre-Twitter? There, there was pre absolutely. <laughs> that's right. Um, it says uh, Ford's Theater is trending. What does that mean? Oh, man. Yeah. It was a darker time. No Wi-Fi, no Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No memes. There you go. Jesus. Well, that's not true, technically. I mean... Political cartoons. Political cartoons. Wow. 
Nah, never mind. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> That's so cool. But anyway. But to, to, to start this story off now, there's a, uh, a Captain uh, James Mason, and he's the captain of this uh, paddle wheeler that would ply his trade up and down the lower Mississippi, and he leaves St. Louis on the Sultana. The Sultana is the ship, and he leaves St. Louis on April the 13th. So he leaves St. Louis the day before Lincoln is uh, assassinated. And he's traveling downriver. So he's starting, uh, you got to understand now, he's starting in St. Louis, which was under northern control. And he's heading south on the Mississippi River. And on the morning of April the 15th, the day after Lincoln was assassinated, she ties up in Cairo, Illinois. Where now Cairo, Illinois, again, is in northern control. So they have uh, received word of Lincoln's assassination at Ford's Theater. Um, Captain Mason grabs a, an armload of uh, the local newspapers, if you will, with all the details on the assassination of Lincoln. And he's back on board and now heading further south, um, knowing that uh, you know these newspapers are going to be um, grabbed up yeah, immediately for news of what's going on uh, back east because again now we're for all intents and purposes we're in the western theater we're in the western part of the thing lee surrenders to grant that's considered the eastern theater of, of the of the war oh yeah that's so a, those coast those people. news you know they were really the uh, the mississippi river is the the western side or the the backwoods section of the of the country at this particular point so he's coming down river and uh, he's bringing with him these newspapers um, with the news of the uh, Lincoln assassination and then uh, he finally ties up into uh, Vicksburg Mississippi which again is now under Union control freshly under Union control. yeah not too not too long ago that Maybe a couple uh, months removed yeah. from uh, Grant having the seed that's where um, I mean he was uh, um, Grant was an ass kicker. There was no, um, he was a pretty skilled tactician, they said, but he was not, if you wanted like a beautiful battle and like, uh, you know, the knights in shining armor kind of imagery, Robert E. Lee could give you that because he was a brilliant West Point mind. Grant was like, all right, well, uh, let's roll our sleeves up, buddy. Right, we got some right. shit to do. He was, uh, keep punching, uh, basically. It was keep moving forward and keep punching. Almost a little uh, reminiscent of Patton later on too. Yeah. But I want to give uh, just a couple of... Um, measurements here if we can for uh what the sultana actually looked like um so it is a steamship which by the way just for those that don't know that is a, a coal burning stove or oven if you will or um, wood depending on the, the boat but. Uh, yeah but this, this the sultana cool. happened and, to and that be... plays in later because I'm, I'm glad you said that because there's a because the legend right yeah the myth that gets uh dispelled from that listen to kahuna man Kahuna's he's on his he's, shit today he's man. on it man he's I'm, on he's on fire because i i love this type of stuff like i love history in that aspect i love the I've read about this Altana when I was a kid. I heard about it and I was this fascinated is, by he's it. He's been holding out on it because you know he's yeah. usually record on weekends or weeknights. If you get nine to five weekday kahuna, you're getting aces kahuna. That's, <laughs> that's right. But we no, I, I'm going to throw to you later for that story because that, that is an important part of it. But um, So it was a coal-burning ship, um, the Sultana, and what they would do is that uh, obviously you use um, the coal to generate heat which um, is then going to help you cr uh, create the steam, which then that pressure is going to move the mechanisms on the ship. So Very much like a, the steam locomotive, which was exactly. the, uh, the the most powerful uh, um, like mechanical, yeah, mechanical that we could have. Uh, <laughs> the steam locomotive, the, the steam-driven uh, paddle wheelers, 
that was the mode of, uh, of transport. Well, imagine having to have enough steam that you could move in water, potentially against the current, of the um, Mississippi. a ship that weighs uh, 1,700 tons. Right. 1,700 tons. It's 260 feet long. You'd think it would be bigger. You'd think it would be. Well, it's eh, 260 is not so bad at the times. I mean, it was originally built in Cincinnati, Ohio. In 1863, this is 1865, so it's not all that old. But again, this was a, a workhorse that this thing was up and down, up and down, up and down. If you're in dock, you're not making money. So the whole idea is to grab cargo yeah. of any type and move it. You know, that's, that's what it was built for. If you guys, if people who are listening ever have the time, uh, go just look at the picture on Wikipedia because it's an actual photo. Like, this is wild to me. Like, there's people on the fucking wheels itself. Like, that's how... Pretty important photo. That, yeah, well, uh... <laughs> we'll get to that photo in, in a little bit. But, yeah, you're right. And, and I would strongly suggest... I think Kevin has already uh, got that for the... I put a teaser out on our uh, our Instagram, and um, uh, you'd appreciate this. The song... Uh, people have been paying attention to the songs that I choose for um, when we put the, the I Instagram... I saw what so, you did. So, <laughs> for this one, or... My old family friend would appreciate that. That's no, oh, okay. Yeah, fantastic, dude. No way. He was a he was. There's a there's video footage of him coming to my dad's studio. We'll we'll no talk shit. about that later. Right. And he's oh, like, cool. "Yo, what's up?" <laughs> <laughs> he used to hang out apparently. Okay. All right, that's wild. But um, so we're arriving down in Vicksburg, right? So uh, what was the day on that? Because I know the fifteenth is when he received word that Lincoln had been shot. Um, I think it was it was. I think it was the 15th or the 16th, so it's only days after. It was only a couple of days to move from um, further, further south to, to arrive in Vicksburg. So we've set the stage. we got Mason now. We understand that Captain Mason has all these newspapers. He's trying to spread the word. He's coming from Yankee territory, if you will. Right, and he's still in Yankee territory at that point. Vicksburg was already under, has fallen to, to under northern control. Yeah, and obviously Grant moved uh, east now to go over to Appomattox. But there's, you've got to leave a guy in charge. Which I think sets us up for today's villain of sorts, Dad. Uh, yeah. Well, we've got a number of uh, dirt bags on this one, but uh, he's got a great. He's villain. one of them. Now Mason is the, is the captain. Um, it, he he didn't have the thing that the Sultana originally built. It was by by others, but uh, Mason at one point was one of the was sold out to one of the investors, kind of a thing. But Mason is under some. <laughs> financial constraints, if you will. He's got some financial problems by uh, by mid-April of 1865. Um, so we got the captain of the ship that is experiencing hard times financially for one reason or another. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. So he, he docks it at Vicksburg. Um, now, the, the idea was that he was going to dock briefly at Vicksburg and then continue further south down to New Orleans, and then turn around immediately and come back up. But I'll let you delve into a little bit of what 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 transpired and what deals were made uh, while he was in Vicksburg. This is such a good villain name, too. I'm going to ask, we're each going to try this real quick. I'm going to say the guy's name. I'll show you what we're going to do. But it's to give it a villainous entrance here. I want you guys to each try to say it as, a, as old school black and white movie villain as you can. <laughs> it's a, hello, I'm a... Reuben Hatch. <laughs> yeah. Kahuna, give it a shot. You can do better than that. I'm Reuben Hatch. <laughs> <laughs> Reuben Hatch. 
Ruben Hatch. I'm the owner of the Sultana. <laughs> no, he was the, no. the quartermaster down at the base down there. No, he was one of the uh, army officers LP, within give, give us an evil one and then do me a favor and twist your mustache while you're doing it. Lieutenant Colonel Ruben <laughs> B. Hatch. <laughs> yeah, that was excellent. We have our voice now. <laughs> Um, oh, man. So Hatch is uh, an interesting guy over here because uh, he's uh, th- he's almost got a. Th- I-, I checked it. He was from New Hampshire because I found his uh, birth and death records. Okay. There's really no. There's no known photos of him, by the way. Okay. They couldn't find anything. I mean, he's probably one of those photos in that picture. He's probably one of those people. He, I don't think he was ever on the boat. Really? Uh, yeah. This is what a genius uh, Hatch was here. He comes up with a little scheme. He knows that Captain Mason, the captain of the Sultana, is in need of a little cash influx, so he makes him an offer in exchange for uh, him taking some of these newly released Union prisoners back up the river. So yeah, these are guys, Union soldiers that got captured by the Confederates that are now freed because of the emancipation of Vicksburg by Grant. No, it was more that, oh, all right, by Grant, by Lee surrender and the war virtually being right. over at this particular point, all these Union prisoners of war who were being held in Confederate prisoner of war camps are now freed or paroled and are very much anxious to get back north to their to their families that these guys you know are in the army they were in battle uh for whatever reason they were were captured by the confederates and then uh were put into prisoner of war camps these mostly ohio kids michigan kids it's you got to get them back up to a lot of midwestern boys right And, and, and a lot of these almost all of these units were not um general population scattered throughout the United States. These are all local kids that if you were in a Michigan unit, you came from primarily Michigan, so now you're trying to get back home to Michigan. Yeah. Um, and there was also a sprinkling of others, like whether it could be Ohio, whether it was Kentucky, um, whatever, there's a need to get back upriver, back to your homeland. Now that you're basically, you've been, you've been freed from these prisoner of war camps. Now, the camps that these guys were freed from, these former Union prisoners, were two of the most notorious prisoner of war camps of the entire war. Which one of them is going to be a loser episode. Uh, all right, so we won't but go into you can say the name of it, though. great, we'll great detail, out. but um, the one was uh, Cahaba Prison. Now, Cahaba Prison was a Confederate prisoner of war camp that held, you know, obviously Union Union uh, prisoners of war. And that's where uh, I stayed. That's where Kahuna stayed. <laughs> what, Cahaba Prison? <laughs> yeah, Kahuna Cahaba Prison. Oh, there you uh, go. Come on, it works. Um, it was also known as uh, Castle Morgan, um, but that was another designation. Now, Cahaba Prison was r- really originally built as a cotton uh, warehouse, and then... Uh, as the war goes on, there used to be, and it's at the start of the war, there used to be a prisoner of war exchange. But Grant put the kibosh on that because they were finding out that a lot of these prisoners were being exchanged, and then you're fighting the same guy. <laughs> you know, six months later, you're fighting this guy all over again that they're, they would, would renege on their promises or whatever the case might be. So anyhow, a lot of these uh, prisoner of war camps were extremely overcrowded. Cahaba Prison was originally built for a uh, tobacco, excuse me, a, a cotton uh, warehouse. It was never completed, and then it was converted into this prisoner of war camp. So you had this framework of this warehouse, no roof, so you're out in the elements the entire time. It was originally designed to hold 500 prisoners maximum, 
And at the time uh, when these guys were released, it often held 3,000 3, prisoners. A lot of elbow room. Huh? Yeah, a lot of 3,000 prisoners in a space that was originally designed for 500. Um, there was reports that there was, you know, you do the math on how big this place was. That's less than five square feet, you know, a five by five spot per man that you'd have a difficult time to lie down. That is a uh, $1,600 a month apartment in Manhattan for that size, by the way. <laughs> Just for context for our listeners. There you go. There you go. Um, and that's with the bathroom down the hall. Um, a- <laughs> uh, what was, what I found too that, um, in February of 65, so just a couple of months previous, I mean, Lee has not yet surrendered, so these guys are definitely still prisoners in this Cahaba prison. There's extremely heavy rains in the area in February, and um, the Mississippi River uh, and the, uh, the other rivers in the area rose, flooded, went over their banks, that these guys are now, for four days, the men are knee-deep in water. Perhaps, you know, estimates go from knee deep to three feet deep. So for four days, these guys were in the water. Some of the guys were climbing up onto what were the timber frame of this warehouse just so they could get out of the water, right? Um, Finally, the Confederates brought up a barge, and these guys could get up out of the water and onto this barge. Um, But the the conditions were horrendous. extremely uh extremely hard times thank god they got out their concerns are over (laughs) (laughs) right just Uh, a quick boat ride home the other the other uh prisoner of war camp that was now if you will liberated um is um camp sumter now camp sumter is again it's a confederate prisoner of war camp that's holding union soldiers but it's more uh commonly known as andersonville Andersonville was like the worst of the worst, um, and that was further south in Georgia. Um, Andersonville had the the worst accommodations, acute starvation. People are dying from malnutrition. Um, the estimates are that uh, like 46,000 guys went into Andersonville, and at least a quarter to a third died while in captivity. Oh, boy. Yeah. So when these guys are first getting out of Andersonville, you know, if, if you're familiar with the pictures from uh, Auschwitz and some of the uh, Nazi um, um, concentration camps, that's these guys. They're actually, you know, human skeletons that guys would have to help one another just to get out of Andersonville and to board the trains, the boxcars, to bring them over to Vicksburg um, to await transport further up river up the Mississippi. So uh, there was a uh, another camp um, set up just outside of Vicksburg where these guys are now being cared for their own. They're they're being fed by the by the Union Army and and somewhat trying to be brought back from the from the edge of death after going through. Cahaba Prison in Andersonville. You just went through the ringer, and we're trying to bring you back to speed a little bit. Right. You know, At least we're giving you something to eat at this particular point yeah, because a... there was nothing. <laughs> um, you know, the re- reports that I found that uh, Andersonville would basically be a piece of salt pork about the size of three of your fingers and cornmeal. Well, cornmeal was basically taking the corn husk and all and grind that up and now try to survive on that. Delicious. So you got... 
the husk. So what you're saying is bacon and cornflakes. That's what I'm hearing. Well, not quite, <laughs> not quite. Uh, but you know the uh, the disease and and the death that more people are being killed by the disease than they were by what's well, bullets true. and action. Yeah, we've said that too with the Civil War. More people died from disease than they did uh, in actual fighting. Right. At now, this particular uh, prison, scurvy, diarrhea, and dysentery. Sounds like fun. Right. <laughs> Who was saying it? We talked about this yesterday. Yeah, right, right. My father said, what's the difference between uh, dysentery and diarrhea? And uh, we were having a hard time figuring out what, what the difference was. Yeah, I had to, because uh, I keep on reading these reports about these guys are dying of uh, typhoid, small, you know, smallpox, it, dysentery, <laughs> diarrhea. Well, what's the difference between dysentery and diarrhea? Well, they're both pretty much the same. And the diarrhea, you're losing all your fluids out your... Yeah, out the back the, door. <laughs> um, dysentery, you're losing everything out the back door with blood mixed in. So you know, if only your whole insides are being here. torn up. We got to use our resources here at the studio because there's another podcast that could probably explain that to us. It's called the Vegan Booster Club, and <laughs> who knows more? But actually, they seem pretty cool. I do want to meet them sometime. They um, don't want to meet you now. <laughs> what? Well, I'll go vegan. I'll do. It. We'll, we'll make it happen. I'll go vegan. I just cheat a little bit with veal every now and then. Oh my God. Um, but uh, so at this point in the story, this is the exchange of prisoners. Yes. So uh, one more time, introduce the villain again, Dad. Uh, so Captain. With the voice, and you know what you got to do. Oh, uh, uh, I got to find his name again now. Oh, um, it's Ruben Hatch. Hatch. Yeah, it's Lieutenant Colonel. Reuben Hatch. <laughs> That's Lieutenant Colonel to you, sir. Reuben yeah, Hatch right. at your service. Hatch is, uh, Hatch is, he's a, a cr he's slimy, all right? He's got a good idea here, though. He tells Mason, because he knows Mason's hurting for money, listen, man, I got to get these guys out of here, so uh, I want you to take these newly freed Union prisoners, and I'm going to have you load up your ship with them, and I'll give you two seventy five per enlisted man and 8 bucks for an officer. Yeah, now that was... I did the math on that, by the way, so let's... Yeah, I, and that... Value or that number that was the U.S. government was paying these uh, riverboat captains. That was the the fare, if you will, to transport these guys back. So you got Union Army officers that are making arrangements with these riverboat captains to transport these newly freed prisoners of war back up river. Now, I found a lot of different discrepancies as to what the federal government was paying these guys. I found it was as high as $5 per enlisted man and $10 for every officer that you're moving Which upstream. Which in 1865 Which is 1865. Is, is, right. Think about yeah. uh, how many, you know, that's kind of like an airfare from uh, New York to Florida kind of a thing that uh, to, go, to go on a riverboat ride now for a K couple of days. Now, KP. Which Muppet would play him? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking Sam the Eagle. Seems like ah, it. 275 a man. <laughs> um, for Americans. <laughs> yeah. I've got, um, I don't know why I was Fozzie for that. That was weird. Um, <laughs> I can only do one voice. It's a <laughs> I feel like Fozzie could easily be the captain who who who's like I'm broke I definitely need this the comedy ain't working let's <laughs> let's we're going to do voices at the end just to to send this one home on a positive because it's a sad story dude yeah uh, no it gets messed up I'm just trying to add some left <laughs> just to kind of to uh bring it back to speed here so this guy Mason he's the captain of of the Sultana he's in Vicksburg right now on his way to New Orleans and he makes arrangements with Hatch that uh, 
you know, the government is going to pay him as much as $5 per man, $10 for officers to bring him back up river. So Mason is going to drive or take the boat down to New Orleans and turn around and come back up. On his return back up river, he's going to pick up some of these newly freed prisoners of war and bring them further up, up river. Um, providing that Hatch, of course, gets a kickback. Yeah, so, you know, you take care of me, I'll take care of you. And then, by the way, uh, the, the math that I did here, um, if they had not been overzealous, uh, they would realize that a sultana filled to legal capacity, if you were able to carry at least 30 officers and 346 enlisted men, because you could carry 376 legally, they said, uh, including the crew of 85, mm-hmm. you would uh, safely be able to travel back home and Mason would make uh, one thousand, roughly one thousand one hundred dollars off of that mix of officers and enlisted, which is again not too shabby. But they get a little greedy here. I'll pay. Yeah, um, just greedy. a little, just a touch. Yeah, overcomes the uh, the two men though. And Hatch said that uh, he came up with the idea. Why don't we, you kick me back a little bit of this money here from the federal government, and I'll fill that fucking ship for you, so you don't have to worry about anything, man. All right, so you get this nice little, it's almost a Tammany Hall kind of a deal. Well, know? yeah, I mean, and he's making a kickback on every one of them. So more guys to get on the boat with, he made this arrangement now with Mason, the more money that's going into his pocket. So these are Union Army officer that is really screwing his own. This is literally the worst case scenario of what's the worst that could happen. <laughs> like, damn. Well, it's, uh, it's good stuff here because... Um, Rather than load up with the 376, as suggested by the ship itself. Yeah, it was listed as the uh, capacity for the ship was uh, 376 <laughs> and then a crew of 85. Um, it was only supposed to take on, as passengers, 290 passengers. So right. that's that's the evidence that I had found there anyhow. Well, they wind up uh, loading up with uh, about what's going to be 1,400 prisoners. So the numbers vary on this too a little bit here. But that is roughly 3.72 times, so literally three and three quarters more than the allowed capacity. Mm-hmm. So now the uh, ship pulls into New Orleans to uh, keep, quote, spreading the news of uh, Lincoln and the events of uh, the war and everything. Uh, but on their return to Vicksburg in order to pick up the aforementioned prisoners, this deal that they've struck with uh, Captain Mason and uh, Gruben Hatch. Um, yeah. one Lieutenant of the, Colonel. Gruben <laughs> Hatch. Well, one of the... Um, one of the uh, boilers actually kicks. So uh, now you're not able to make as much of the steam. So on reduced power, they're literally limping into Vicksburg to go pick up. A, and what an inspiring sight that must be. Hey, guys, it's your, uh, it's your ride home. And it's yeah, a, right. a, a sputtering like yeah. speed buggy. It's like only fucking... got one flat tire. Yeah. It's got four boilers on board. This thing is powered by four boilers. <laughs> and one of them, um, there's a seam that lets go, and it's, and it's springing. It's, it's leaking. So it goes under reduced power. It's limping its way back up river to, to, to its return to Vicksburg so that these guys can get on board. Now, some of, the, some of the passengers that came from New Orleans are now back up in Vicksburg. They get off the ship, and now all these guys, all these newly freed prisoners of war, get on board. Now, the estimates as to how many people actually got on board vary as well because there was one guy that was supposed to keep count because, again, you got all these newly freed prisoners and there's supposed to be a roster created um, before these guys get on board so they can, you know, they've got records of 
who was on board, who who did not get on board, all that kind of thing, who just came out of Andersonville, who just came out of uh, Cahaba Prison. And the, the first batch had the roster created, and then the second batch, well, the roster wasn't quite finished yet, so one guy was put in charge of, well, you count as to how many people are getting on board so that, you know, the, the billing <laughs> at $5 a head or $10 a head um, the billing uh, can be kept track of. And the one guy that was supposed to be in charge of that, as one train load comes in, well, that first batch, yeah, we've got the rosters all squared away. The second batch shows up. They don't have the roster prepared yet. Ah, uh, that's all right. Just get on board. But the guy that was supposed to be counting wasn't even there for the second batch. So there's an additional 400 people, um, accounts tell of maybe 400 people that weren't even accounted for. So all these estimates of uh, how many people actually got on board are are still in the wind there someplace. And then finally it's now— It's just such a shit show, man. Yeah, it's, it's such an absolute, a shit show. It's an absolute <laughs> shit show. Um, so, but as this thing le- limps back into Vicksburg with uh, one faulty boiler— Literally limping. Um, literally. <laughs> literally. All right. you're, you're, not, you're not firing on all cylinders. You get a four-cylinder car, you're only running on three right now. All right. It sounds like a Buck's PT Cruiser, <laughs> if he's listening, Buck. <laughs> um, so now he's back, finally gets into Vicksburg, offloads his passengers that came up from New Orleans, and now is very much anxious to take on all of these uh, uh, using, uh, Union POWs. But, um, you know, the, uh, the chief engineer of the boat says, we've got to repair this boiler. We're not going to go upstream. Uh, any further than this, so they call in this guy, this mechanic, if you will, to uh, to fix the uh, fix the boiler. He comes in, takes a look at the situation, says, "This is gonna uh, take like that three ain't, days. That ain't gonna be working. That ain't gonna be fixing. That needs replacing, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So that you're gonna have to take that one boiler out and replace it with a with a proper boiler." And then Mason, no way we're gonna have that. How long would that take? Well, that's gonna take a couple of days. Well couple of days, he's going to miss out on transporting these, send the troops these POWs by, other means. Right, by, some, by some other riverboat captains. I mean, it, and the more he waits, the more other uh, paddle wheelers are, are coming up river to pick up uh, potential cargo. I mean, all of these guys are in competition with one another. Also, just to paint a little bit of a picture on these on these ship boilers, there's a reason steamships aren't used anymore. These things were, if not properly maintained, they were literal bombs. Right. Like, they would create some of, like, the worst case scenarios on steamship disasters, literally. Like, yeah. this isn't something, like, that, like, is, it's not common, but it happened back in the day. Like, sure. boiler explosions were pretty common. Uh, boiler tech was, uh, they were known as BTs in the Navy. For those that don't know, if you if you're listening for the first time, if this is the entry episode for you, um, I did uh, serve in the Navy. I was on the USS Kearney, which was 505 feet of American fighting steel, hence why I said 260 sounds kind of short. But, um, <laughs> but at the time, yeah. yeah so Kearney was a guided missile destroyer, and that ran on a gas turbine engine. And uh, the thing was that the BT rating was boiler tech, that uh, my rating was hull technician, which a couple of machinists made. A couple other uh, rates came out of that, but the boiler tech went away. Um, but they were known as BTs. And what their job was was to maintain the steam pressure on the original ship. So even in World War II, we were still using steam-powered ships at that point. 
So pretty wild. And Kahuna's right. That's literally, um, hey, this bomb's really taken us far, you know, some right. pretty cool places. So <laughs> let's ride this bomb out if we can. Right. But um, and as they're big. Boilers can be huge. massive. Right. Massive. I mean, you I mean this, was, this was a this was a uh, a large ship for the time. Um, and to have four boilers driving these um, two side wheel uh, paddle wheelers. For size comparisons, I think Titanic's was almost two, three stories tall. Well, the, the many that it had, for just a reference. No, it was. That was a giant one, too. Uh, and then there's always that horrifying scene of uh, when the guys who are shoveling uh, the coal on the Trapped Titanic. In there. Yeah, all of a sudden the water starts coming down. I think the scariest one with that was when it was, um, uh, what's it called? Friggin'. Um, you find out it's the guy's birthday in the original A Night to Remember, the black and white one. But, uh, but we got our own disaster here. We don't got to talk about any others. Um, yeah, well, now this this um, hatch, the, the idea was that they were going to put 1,400 guys on there. Um, but again, as, as they're getting on board, records were screwed up. There was a suspicion of bribery that, you know, the more people on board, the more money they're they're going to be able to skim off the top, the more of the kickback is going to be. So where exactly how many people actually get on there is a little difficult to uh, determine, but um, we're, we're somewhere over uh, 2,100 uh, 2100 <laughs> people are now on board a ship that was supposed to hold 276 passengers. Explain to, by the way, the amount of weight that that is on top of a 1,700-ton ship. Right. That, that photo that Kahuna pulled up earlier, you told me this on the car ride down, that there was an incident when um, the, they knew a photographer was going to be taking a, a yeah, photo. Yeah, well, we're not quite there yet because, you know, we're still in Vicksburg, and this mechanic is going to be charged with fixing the boiler. He, The mechanic says it doesn't need fixing, it needs replacing. And the captain is like, no way, no Turns way. Down. Just put a Band-Aid on that bad boy, and uh, and you know we got to go up river. We're going to be loading, uh, we're going to be loading human cargo here, and we're going up river to make some money. So, uh, you know, this guy is coerced, if you will, or convinced, whatever, to put this thin plate uh, patch. Over the the seam that split on the they, boiler, they put a bandaid on and, it. Yeah, they put a bandaid. What's the guy's in. name? Billy Williams or whatever. <laughs> hey, I'm Billy Williams here with the amazing. <laughs> and hope, yeah, yeah, right. The uh, shell. <laughs> no, no, the, the tape. The yeah, uh, slap some of his magic tape on the, the steam boiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm here with flex tape. Yeah. <laughs> flex tape. There you go. Um, so they're loading all of these guys on there now. There's so many people on board. That again, the estimate is somewhere over tw- over 2,100 people are on board this ship. That they're so overloaded that the crew is seeing the decks, the upper decks, like starting to creak and sag and everything else. So now they're bringing in additional timbers to to <sighs> shore to up the it. upper the upper they're floors of the ship. Building their own campfire, it. right? They're building their own campfire. And to add to the fun. You know, after everybody's on board and now they're they're taking off from Vicksburg and they're going up river, um, uh, there was extremely heavy rains. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about this. and that. So now the the Mississippi current is very very strong, stronger than normal. It's in at flood stage. The trees along the river bank that the waters are now up into the treetops, so that. You know the, the Mississippi is running running wild. So now they're going against the current in record floods, right? Record high water marks, completely overloaded, 
with um, a Band-Aid on one of the boilers. I have a question for both of you then. Do you think that if it was going in the opposite direction, because it's going upstream against the, the current of the Mississippi. Good, that's a good it's, point already. It's, yeah. it's already at full power because it has to do that. Do you think it would have been okay if it had to go in the opposite direction? I'll give or you do you this, think it would have uh, still been a problem? I'll give you this analogy and you tell me if this one works. So um, uh, you and me, uh, both bigger dudes, right? We could be playing offensive line, you know, whatever we wanted to um, <laughs> So if uh, if we were both going to if my dad's riding his bicycle, and he's got uh, he's got spokes or, or spikes on the uh, the front and the rear tires, and we said, "Hey, Dad, can we um, can we hop on with you real quick?" You know, would you think he would rather go uphill or downhill? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or if you ever don't, have you ever? It's a great question, though, man. But poor Larry's going to turn purple by the time he's up. Oh, oh. That's right. <laughs> On a bicycle built for three, and there's That's only right. one guy pedaling it, and we're going uphill. Oh, yeah, oh, man. God. You're right. And You're the two other guys that aren't pedaling are somewhat of the well, rotund I mean, size. I mean, in the sense of this impending disaster, I know it would have been a much easier ride, but I mean, yeah. like, yeah, there's a Band-Aid on this boiler, and there's still issues, but I mean... Oh, definitely if still maxed it out, for sure. Without a doubt, full RPMs, like, fuck right. this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Fast and Furious, they made <laughs> all 25 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. They made every mistake you could make on the way into this now, so they are under-repaired, they're overloaded with weight, like Absolutely you were Absolutely overloaded. And also, they're fighting you, upriver. What are the dates for this? Oh, this one is, uh, I actually got one for you coming up. Um, well, they leave, they leave Vicksburg on uh, the 24th of April. They do, and they, they're actually initially successful at first because uh, they depart over here. And um, against, despite all these odds, Sultana is actually able to make it up to Memphis. So, which, uh, you've been down to Memphis, right, LP? Yeah, well, they actually, they come up river, <laughs> and then two days later... They're in um, outside of uh, uh, Helena on April the 26th. So they left Vicksburg on the 24th. On April the 26th, they stop at Helena, Arkansas, which is just on the other side of the river, really. I got something to tell and you. And you're both. up a little bit. Now, when they're in Helena, all of these guys aboard ship get word. Now, you're extremely overcrowded. I mean, there's no place to go anywhere on board. And Don't get on the boat. <laughs> the word goes uh, around the ship, hey, there's a, there's a photographer oh, this is great. <laughs> on the dock in Helena, and he's going to take a picture. So everybody immediately runs to that side of the boat, and that's the really one of the only remaining photos that we have of what the Sultana looked like. So this guy's going to take a picture. So everybody, hey, I want to be in the photo. I want to be in the photo, you know. And they all run to the one side, and the captain is afraid that they're going to like no. They're going to capsize the boat because all of these, Everyone's all the weight put. of all. Right, Whoever's right. seen is seen. Sorry, guys. Right, right. <laughs> also, this is April twenty sixth, right? This is April twenty sixth, right? That's Big Kahuna's birthday. No um, shit. Yeah. This uh, whole is that thing, right? Yeah. Well, that's the day the the picture was taken of, the, the, of the Sultana. Day, all right. Because um, when when we were, when I was looking at it, I was like, oh no! I remembered why I knew about the the Sultan in the first place. It was one of those things where I was like, what happened on my birthday? Oh, we uh, we won't then, talk about my birthday on this one. Keep going, LP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got one to yeah. top that. Yeah. Um, and then around seven o'clock uh, on on the twenty sixth, the Sultana finally reaches Memphis, Tennessee. Um, they go see an Elvis show. Yeah, and then around midnight. 
on the on the twenty sixth, uh, the Sultana then leaves Memphis, uh, and perhaps leaving behind maybe two hundred two hundred guys. So again, records are non-existent of exactly how many guys got on there, uh, or how many guys got off. Whatever it starts out. Uh, again, now we're we're still fighting the fight. We're you know got faulty boilers. We're going upstream against the current, and in a short distance upriver, uh, they now take on a coal they meet a coal barge in the river about one o'clock in the morning and they take on coal so although you might have lost the weight of 200 people um you're now taking on additional weight for the fuel for the coal because mm-hmm. it's it's a coal-fired steam boiler um and then at two o'clock in the morning on april 27th um Seven miles offshore from Memphis, by the way. Yeah, only just seven miles from Only Memphis. seven miles north of Memphis. Right. There's uh there's a huge explosion and uh immediately goes into a fireball because the the boiler not just one boiler, um, but three of the boilers blow up. Three of the four blow up and uh one smokestack um goes forward, one goes aft. Um the explosion rips right up through the superstructure of the ship, takes out the pilot house, takes out all the humanity that were on the upper decks, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff falls now into the firebox of the of the boilers. Could you imagine being one of the guys who's you know you survived Andersonville and now you're sitting there like I'm telling you boys I can taste mom's home cooking. Yeah, right. Well, I mean. To back that story up, first off, you're you're going into the army, you're fighting in a battle, you were probably, you know, fought and and bled in battle, then you were captured, and you spent the rest of your time in Andersonville, where you know more people died of disease than than uh, than anything else. You finally get out of that, you're you're looking like a skeleton, and you're loaded onto this ship to take you home to family and, and loved ones, kind of a thing, and then at at, at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it's it's cold water. I mean, it's it's the early spring rains. It's cold water, and it's a running a, a fast current. The river is swollen. Guys are some of the guys were blown up immediately. The, Others, honestly, I would argue possibly the lucky ones were blown, blown up immediately. Right, the lucky ones were blown up immediately. Others were scalded to death from the from the boilers exploding, uh, and then the whole the whole ship within minutes. Is in a in a fireball. There's there's no captain. He he was blown up in the initial explosion, but so now you have this burning hulk that's running you know rudderless without direction uh, uh, in the river. All of the, a lot of these guys to escape the fireball are now jumping into the river, but they're so weakened by life in the prison camps. And even if you, they did know how to swim, and at at that particular time, the vast majority of people. Were non-swimmers. I mean, it was, it was kind of a not rare occurrence, but well, you if know. you live near water, then you probably learned at some point. Right. But or so you, many people did not live near water. Right. Right. Um, so if you if, if you were a swimmer, you were so in such a uh, a weakened condition, you're not going to survive long in there. Plus, it's cold water, so you're going to hypothermia is going to set in. They were saying guys were huddling up together, kind of grabbing onto one another. And guys were um, dropping under the water in, in large groups simply because, you know, yeah. if you couldn't catch on to any of the debris, 
to help uh, float you. I think there was like, I don't know, 24 life preservers. There was like two lifeboats. It was kind of like a Titanic situation where there was two lifeboats and, you know, maybe a couple of dozen life yeah. preservers. But when you got, you know, 21 hundred people on board that's not going to go very and far and the the other one too is that it reminds me of uh in in my i grew up learning uh, i knew how to swim because uh mom took me for lessons because mom was learning to swim at the same time but uh so i've always been a pretty good swimmer but i remember boy scout camp uh camp terrell when we would do swimming merit badge that there was uh one of the big things you had to do was you had to be able to jump in and, and make a flotation device out of your t-shirt right right and another one you had to be able to do was uh, it would be, we'd all group up together. You'd have a group, um, you know, had a, a group flotation device, if you will. And then the idea of that was that uh, whatever the, the weakest link in the chain was, was going to be saved because the other guys can keep you afloat. Right. That's what they literally did on the Indianapolis. But the problem is now you've just huddled all the food together. So right. at least <laughs> the, these guys. For the for Indianapolis, the it's with the sharks. Yeah, yeah, but now with these guys, they're going, they're almost, if there's more people that don't know how to swim than do, now all of a sudden that, that's a chain that that's the anchor that's going to tear everybody down right. to the bottom. So right. it is not good. Uh, also keep in mind when the steam uh, exploded, you're now getting steam. That That's the nastiest burns there is. That's, right. that's mom opening up the lid on the corned beef that uh, that one St. Patrick's day right. and getting scalding burns on her arm. flesh is falling off the bone. Yeah, she's and she listens too, so she's having an experience right now. Sorry, <laughs> Mom. <laughs> oh, my God. But uh, like we said, underprepared, uh, overloaded. They were going up against the river. The thing explodes. And um, the actual cause of the explosion still never confirmed to this day. There are a couple of interesting theories, though. Uh, are there not, sir? Uh, a couple of different theories as to why it exploded. One, of course, was it was, uh, you know, the, the boiler should have been replaced and not this uh, Band-Aid patch put on there. And um, the patch that was put on there was made of a metal called uh, charcoal hammered number one, <laughs> right? So it was, uh, you know. It wasn't just the patch, the band-aid. It was the whole boiler that was oil, made out oil, of it. Early steel uh, uh, technology was not. That particular type of steel, this charcoal hammered number one, was soon discarded for use in boilers. It wasn't a be after, after this, it was soon determined, hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, this metal that's shit. A, that's a faulty engine, and we're not going to have any more. Uh, you know, no more sultanas. No, it, no more. Weird. No more uh, boilers made of, and even the type of boiler um, was soon discarded after that. The material gets held more accountable than the people in this story, which right. I thought was weird. Right. Um, wrong material, uh, wrong repair. But you know, again, that whole thing. Another theory was, <laughs> and I thought this was pretty cool. There was something known as. Uh, Courtney Torpedoes. Now, Courtney Torpedoes was something that was devised by this guy, Courtney, who was part of the Confederate Secret Service, if you will. So this is kind of like a James Bond uh, um, secret weapon type of a thing that this guy, Courtney, devised this torpedo or bomb. At the time, anything that would explode could be called a torpedo. It wasn't the torpedo that you might think of with right. uh, uh, World War II submarine warfare. Um, a torpedo could be a, a, a mine floating out in the in the river. Um, if you, you could throw a torpedo. Anyhow, um, this guy Courtney comes up with this thing called a coal torpedo. Now these were fashioned in a uh, in a factory in, in Richmond, where it was basically a a, a very large uh, shell that was hollowed out. 
um, filled with, with gunpowder and then capped off and then rolled around in, in beeswax and then rolled around in coal dust. So it looks like a lump of coal. So you got this hollowed out deal <laughs> filled up with um, gunpowder, gun and then they would put it into the, the coal hoppers of Union uh, facilities, you know, secret I spy kind of crap, so that when these guys are now shoveling this coal into the boilers, you know, gunpowder and uh, red hot um, Jesus. Uh, fireboxes don't get along kind of a thing. That is horrifying. Yeah. Agent 001. So there was, there was the Confederate a, uh, Secret Service. Yeah. Right. There was uh, a guy who um, on his deathbed made a confession that he put one of these Courtney torpedoes, one of these coal torpedoes uh, into the uh, into Sultana. Uh, there's arguments back and forth as to whether that was you just. That's Robert Loudon you're yeah, talking about? Ro Robert Loudon. Yeah, because yeah. they also said that he, because uh, under the alias that he was the agent under was uh, you know, talk about uh, Bond, James Bond. This is uh, Dale, Charles Dale. Right. <laughs> and he um, supposedly, that was a, a bar story he liked to throw around, too. He goes, I ever tell you boys about the time I blew up the Sultana? It's a sure what a, cliff, whatever <laughs> cliff, you know. Yeah. What a great bar story. <laughs> right, right. It would be a good one, man. But that was uh, largely debunked and scoffed at, like you said. Dave. Yeah, because the way the thing did explode, it really didn't come from the, the from the firebox. It came from uh, uh, higher up into the into the boilers and the way the things blew out at a 45 degree angle or at, a, at an angle with one stack going one way and the other stack going the other way. Um, that was pretty much um, debunked. Um, but there was some other, uh, other, you know, speculation as to uh, how that might've uh, gone down. But um, I thought that was pretty cool. A coal, a coal torpedo. Um, because there were accounts where that they were the Confederates were successful with that, where they were trying to put it into locomotives and that kind of stuff. Again, steam steam engine was the the motive uh, and the transport. Yeah, one of the successful saboteurs, if you will. He said um, one of his quotes, I believe, was along the lines of when they asked him if he was involved with the Sultana. He goes, uh, he goes, I gave you the names of the ones I did, and I didn't say the Sultana. So right. we're at the hour mark right now. Okay, we're, we're going to wrap up here shortly, but. Um, there's another good one that Kahuna alluded to earlier that uh, the, the legend, if you will, was that there was a, a guy splitting logs out on the river, a you know, a, a southern boy, if you will. Well, yeah, he was he was cutting firewood for 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 fuel. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the guys, uh, the you know, a couple of Union sailors popped up, and uh, they said, "Hey, man, we want to get some wood here from you." And then they loaded up everything and then refused to pay him. And then uh, when he realized that as a revenge, what the guy did is he then took a hollowed out log filled it with gunpowder, almost a Courtney torpedo of its own, if you will, then threw it uh, to the guys to put onto the ship. And then that was what wound up on the Sultana. That was this, uh, you know, you know you're going to scratch right. on a, you know, you owe me money. I'm going to make sure you pay for it kind of thing. And the only reason that that was debunked was, uh, as Kahuna alluded to earlier, it was a coal-burning ship and right. not a wood-burning They're not going to take on firewood for, yeah, so. for feeding the furnace. Well, for I mean, it... There, I mean that theory in the in the fact that it went into the boiler. Yeah, no way, because it's a coal burner. But I mean, for all we know, it probably could have been like in just like a little fucking furnace on the ship, like a little lump, like you know, like how you could buy like a little thing of firewood, probably. Like if it was something just, like that. <laughs> I just yeah. pictured um, I just pictured some poor girl winds up with, "Hey, babe, we're gonna do a fire tonight," you know, for the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Oh, very three stooges. Uh, we'll get into the spirit of the holidays. Got marshmallows everywhere. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> um, but real quick, I do want to get into this one last detail if we can here because uh, you have an explosion of that magnitude. The boiler's, like you said, Dad, they erupted through the top. Mason dies, as you said earlier, pretty instant. Yeah, the yeah. captain's dead like instant. He's he was, in the pilot house. Right. He got pretty much. Uh, and mean, the boilers went up and right through the pilot house. So If he, the explosion didn't gone. kill him, the funnel's collapsing probably. Yeah, did. it Shit. was. Uh, so he died. That's why Mason kind of gets. He's obviously a villain in the story, but he when you die. When your own actions kind of hurt you. That's a great photo, too, by the way. I'm going to look that one up uh, for the Instagram. But um, there's some really... Uh, Mason gets off the hook here. The, the Hatch is still the villain, but we're going to get to that here in a second. Um, now, most of the guys uh, are drowning if they manage to even get off the ship. There's people with steam burns, which is completely incapacitating. There's other people that are dying of smoke. I mean, it is... You want to pick... There's literally, uh, it's a choose-your-own-ending kind of an adventure here on oh. the Sultana. Uh, Welcome and, to American Loser Bandersnatch. Yeah, and none <laughs> of them are good. Um, but uh, about an hour after the initial explosion, because uh, first of all, too, keep in mind, as soon as the pilot house is gone, you've lost any sense of the ability to steer or navigate on board the ship. Right. It is now a floating inferno. Right. So this thing's going to bounce around and float. Uh, people who manage to get off the ship and are, are looking at it from the water are just watching their ship kind of just float on fire down the river now right. in the opposite direction. It's heading back toward, towards Memphis. And it's spinning in different directions, too. So it's like, th think of the world's worst water park ride. Mm -hmm. And I think we've invented it. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the lucky ones, I'm going to call them the lucky ones who happen to survive. Uh, some of their accounts are pretty harrowing of this. But uh, the ship's going to float aimlessly until about 9 a.m. Now, remember, the explosion takes place at 2 a.m. So this is a hell of an evening for these guys, okay? That is... Uh, uh, a little bit of a, a last call kind of a thing. And uh, around 9 a.m., it finally sinks, uh, which is uh, actually that the wreckage is part of it's been discovered. And the museum for this Sultana is located in uh, Marion, Arkansas, like you said, just the other side of the river. But about an hour after that initial explosion, there wasn't, I don't want to make it seem like there was nothing the guys could do out there. There was a rescue attempt. A there were rescue attempts, a lot of, but um, one of the, uh, um, Union Navy ironclads that were coming downriver and came upon this disaster in the river said it was like just acres of, of bodies floating. That uh, uh, And f days and weeks later, um, bodies were washing up onto the shores. Bodies floated as far and south And again, as now the Pittsburgh. river was swollen, so people, you know, bodies are getting hung up in the treetops because the water level was that high. <sighs> So, um, That's gross, man. Right, and and those that were rescued from the water were taken into Memphis into the various, uh, you know, health facilities, hospitals, that type of a thing. Many of them died later from from either scald burns, steam burns, or from fire burns. And you know, you didn't have uh, the antibiotics and that type of stuff to rescue these people. You put them into the burn unit. Right, but they were lucky because Vicksburg. Had, you know, since it had been taken over by the Union, I apologize, I have to clear my throat. <clears throat> since it had been taken over by the Union, there was medical supplies coming in. So had it been uh, another city that they had gone to, they would have much less to, uh, yeah. to offer the guys in terms of treatment. Um, also, the ship, the steamship uh, Bostona, uh, comes by about an hour after the initial explosion, and they begin their rescue attempts, if you will, but they're it's like uh, bobbing for apples almost, looking right. for people who are alive. Right. And I did say it earlier, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, bodies were washing up as far south as Vicksburg. So imagine going all the way back from whence you right. came. Right, where you started from. Body. And then you're pulling out. Yeah, yeah. they're pulling <clears throat> out of the water. So um, 
But there's lots of crazy stuff going on here, too. If you were lucky enough to survive that initial explosion, you got to pick which, you know, what was going to be your poison in terms of your death. Um, but uh, Captain Mason, like we said, died almost immediately. Here's the numbers. This is where it gets wild. Remember the initial numbers that we talked about, about how right. many people were on board the ship? Well, of the people that were rescued, it was only about 760. Right. So 760 men get rescued from the disaster. That's not just including the prisoners on board. There were also about 200 people who had paid for a ticket. We talked about this in the right. right. Imagine how pissed you would be, Kahuna, if you bought um, your plane ticket and then uh, you you're go into the plane. You're in first class because you're in one of the cabins. Yeah, you're in first class, but then uh, there's literally guys <laughs> laying down in the aisle. You know, trying to, There's someone trying to sneak into the overhead compartment to fly out there with you. But You've never met an angry kahuna. A, <laughs> you don't want to meet an angry kahuna. I, I endeavor to never meet the angry kahuna. It's uh, it's not fun. Well, because I think you and me are the same way that way, too. So it's... Uh, well, <laughs> We'll just stay on our amicable friendship. That's how I like doing things it. anyway. But uh, as we're wrapping up over here, uh, 760 is the number that get pulled out. Now, about 31 of those wind up dying in the hospital, like you said, Dad, from right. you know uh, just being too far gone or, or not being able to the, – the constraints of the times. And uh, Memphis is interesting because Memphis – you're in the south, okay? That This is an occupation right now. People always get so blinded by the Civil War with this because we, we lack the nuance for it. You live in Memphis, and the federal government is coming in there and invading it and taking it over. You're going to have some, you know, if you don't have a little bit of apprehension, I don't know what's wrong with you on that one. But they understood that this was a genuine tragedy. So even the newspapers and the people of Memphis were acknowledging that, hey, this is, um, you know, this right. was a The a war is tragedy. over, and these yeah. guys go through, you know, prisoner of war camp. They go through battle. They go through the prisoner of war camp, and then they're finally freed and going home to family and loved ones, and this tragedy happens. Uh, to that, I think this never really got the press that it truly deserved. I mean, it is which a disaster. Which makes it a loser on top of a loser. Which, yeah, which is a loser on top of a loser. And, you know, people speculate as to why um, this didn't get more media play, if you will, if that's the terminology that you want to use. I think you got to go back to those times that we just had four years of this civil war. Um uh, 600 and it's estimated that people that died during the Civil War, either from battle or from disease, is over 600,000 men died in the Civil War, right? Um, that's more Americans died in both world wars, the Korean War, the Vietnam War combined. That's, that's a lot of people that are given, given it at all. Um, that's 600, over 600,000. That's about 2% of the population at the time. Now, I know this is math and it's like just numbers and people's start, <laughs> eyes start to gloss over, but if you could kind of zero in on this, that's 2% of the population died. That's not um, casualties, guys that, you know, lost limbs and, and everything else um, from this from this four years of war. Um, there's not anybody in the United States that has not suffered... Um, you know, has personal um, take on the suffrage of the of the American Civil War. Um, if we were to put those numbers to modern day times, that if <clears throat> excuse me, two percent of the population at the time, that would be equivalent to about six million Americans dying today. Six million Americans dying today. It's quite the uh, Thanos finger snap for yeah, Marvel fans. That's out there. Uh, that's. Uh, to me, that really hit home. Like, holy shit! Everybody, everybody knows somebody who lost somebody, kind of a thing. Um, 
And I think people were just so oversaturated with death and dying that this, as big a catastrophe as this was, um, they just didn't want to hear about it anymore. You know, enough of the death and dying. The war is over. Can can hopefully we can we move on? These poor bastards, you know, went through all of that, and this is this is the the fate that they met. And the national, the federal government never really recognized this disaster. <laughs> there was one. Um, there was one investigation, which was kind of hastily done. There was a couple other um, follow-up investigations. So they can't even get the number of people who died right on this, which right. is uh, another reason it's such a great loser. But um, one of the official causes, they said, of the uh, boiler uh, erupting was uh, water level mismanagement. So that if you have more steam than water, then you, you're, you're building a bomb, like right. Kahuna said. So there's that part. Uh, Anybody with uh, in an old house that had uh, steam heat could know that you'd have to go down into the basement and look at the what they call the sight glass that you could see within that yeah. glass how much water <laughs> is in the boiler and um this particular thing it was attributed that the, why did the explosion actually happen well there was so many different things it was the type of metal that the constructions were made of they were using dirty mississippi river water they had they didn't have enough water in the system and as this thing is fighting the currents and it's sloshing back and forth that this superheated boiler is now having water sloshing up against the superheated metal, and that caused the uh, did you know what it's explosion. called? Did you get the name by the way of what it's called for uh, when the the dirt and everything starts to um, uh, coagulate in the bottom of the tanks? No, hot pockets. No. Oh my god! <laughs> That's literally what it was that. called. Yeah. I walked into that. All right. Well, dysentery anyway. pockets. <laughs> I'm not forgiving you for that one. Yeah, really. <laughs> you don't need to repeat badness. Well, uh, Move on. Like you said, thanks to several cover-ups uh, and a passing of the buck in order to protect the careers of those responsible, because a couple of people they did try to hold responsible, some of them were uh, West Point guys, and they were like, well, we're not coming down on one of our own. He's a West Point guy. We're not going to ruin your career over something silly like the world's largest maritime disaster. Right. So... And uh, what about our villain, Dad? What uh, about our villain? Mr. Hatch. You want to say it again? Mr. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Hatch. Reuben Hatch. Reuben Hatch. Reuben to you. Yeah. Well, he, he, he was a dirtbag long before um, this whole incident. He had a history of being a dirtbag. Um, actually, there was an episode of a, a show called History Detectives that kind of came up with some additional evidence um, that whole sabotage theory about the the coal bombs, uh, the coal torpedoes, and everything else, that was pretty much disproven. But um, <clears throat> the real bad guy on this, uh, more than likely, was Hatch. He was the guy that was cooking up this whole scheme. When the Sultana left Vicksburg, there were two other um, riverboats waiting to pick up passengers. But it was under Hatch's directive that, no, 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 put him on the Sultana, put him on the Sultana, because he, he made the arrangements with Mason. Um, so, you know, there was all a whole bribery thing. Did Bef Hatch know about the, the faulty boiler? <clears throat> I don't think it, I think he did, but I don't think it really made any difference that, you know, it, he made the arrangements with Mason, so it was going to be on Mason's ship, the Sultana, that they were going to load these guys on, whether it was a faulty boiler or not. It could be they didn't want to tell him he didn't really he would jeopardize his own payday. So there, there's some, there's plenty of, um, there's plenty of bullshit to go around on See, this, this story. This is what happens when a bunch of idiots work, like just collectively form a hive mind of stupidity, 
and just horrible results keep happening because there's idiots on all sides in this story to the point that it's frustrating. You got the people who manufactured the boiler. You got the people who fucking put the people on the boat in the first place. Like, it's a horrible con- concoction of a cornucopia stupid. of losers. If <laughs> there you, you will. go. There you it's go. A- Damn, yeah, and, and, that and back. <laughs> but uh, fortunately for Hatch, he had friends in high places. That uh, again, he had a long history of corruption. Earlier in the war, uh, he was charged with uh, some uh, uh, corruption and competence and everything else. But he was able, due to his political connections, uh, he was a younger brother of an Illinois politician, Ozias Hatch, uh, who happened to be an advisor and close friend of President Lincoln. Not a bad move. All right. So they uh, they wire Lincoln and or contact write a letter to Lincoln, and Lincoln um, through some of his uh, string pulling, if you will, this guy gets off. And there's also uh, some other recommendations that were noted by uh, uh, somebody else that was uh, an army in the. Uh, uh, excuse me, a general in the army by the name of Ulysses S. Grant that also had written him uh, a letter of, uh, of competency. That's so, good when you get a, a letter from a general that then uh, turns into a letter from the president. Right, So right. Now, now you know how Hatch got away with um, that they couldn't hit him with a military, tribu- uh, military tribunal. Wow. Yeah, well, they tried, to, they tried to bring him to trial, but... Uh, he, he, you know what his quote was, right? It was an Eric Cartman quote. <laughs> Screw you guys, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, no, you gotta say much... it. You gotta say it right. Yeah. Screw you guys, I'm going home. That wasn't bad, Coons. <laughs> Someone it's... take that audio clip, jack up the pitch a little bit, in your guy, <laughs> yeah, and then it'll be go. right on the money. Uh, yeah, Hatch. Uh, uh, after the disaster, Hatch resigns from the army, so now he's a civilian. So all this mil- military tribunal and, and this whole. Um, uh, trial and tribunal and everything else well hey guess what he's a civilian so he's not going to answer he was subpoenaed to um to come and give a, a testimony um but uh he didn't show three times he didn't show yeah because this is the age where move. you could just move into the country and never be seen again yeah it's also bad on that one you have anything else here while we're wrapping up because i'm going to throw to kahuna for the casting couch before uh, we no, I think that's pretty much uh, what we got here. All right. Well, give me a second uh, to Unfortunately, think, the, the whole thing and the magnitude of this disaster, nobody was held accountable. Nobody was held accountable, whether it was uh, well, the, co- the captain of the boat. I mean, he, he, he paid the price. But uh, Again, and he, uh, it's almost getting away with it, too. You wonder what his penalty would have been had he survived. But the captain did go down with the ship as per maritime tradition. Right. It was actually uh, a captain... Uh, uh, Military Army Captain Frederick Speed, that uh, was the Union officer that actually was putting the boys on board the ship, um, the parole the parole uh, prisoners. Um, but you know, although it was in the tribunal that yeah the the ship was grossly um, overloaded, nobody nobody uh, suffered any consequence from from this disaster. Hey, not bad, right? We all get to go home except right. for those. You know, roughly twelve to eighteen hundred people, depending right. on what you want to talk about. So, hey guys, uh, if you like the show, we absolutely love doing it here. Uh, help out a shared universe; they've been uh, instrumental in our success so far. We're um, we're kicking ass. We got a lot of listeners overseas who I really appreciate. We got a lot of listeners in places I've never been in uh, our own United States, which is even cooler because that means I don't know these people. These are organic listeners that we're picking up. So, thank you so much for all of that. Uh, we want to thank everybody each week that we can. 
There's so many people that we do have to reach out to. It's tough because sometimes I want to give shout outs to people, but it's their Instagram handle or I don't know their real name. So I'm going to screw this one up because we all sound like hackers, like we live in the Matrix or something when you do that. But uh, uh, JRDE15, uh, something like that. Really cool dude. He sent me a great message. Uh, supports the show. means a lot. Uh, Jazzrec, J-A-S-R-E-C. I don't know how you pronounce it, dude. I know we'll have to pretend like uh, we have to have fake names now on Facebook so that your job can't come and get you. <laughs> but there's a lot of people. Uh, Brad Frizzell uh, or Frizzle, however you pronounce it, I'll find out. But there are just so many people that are uh, incredibly good to us. And, of course, the Sunquist family who was on another uh, trip the other day and sent us another message. So there you go. we're kicking ass with that one, man. Keep those Also giggles. to the very select few that mentioned the Big Kahuna, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's that ego boost that I love in the morning. Another name to uh, Patrick Chisty, I want to throw in a, a shout out to. And uh, Cranston Dean, who uh, I've met doing stand-up that I think listens to the show now because of that. So guys, that being said, uh, we really do, uh, we love the shit out of you for listening to the show. This is my passion project. Um, I get to do it every week with my father. I'm very lucky that way. Mike and Ming have provided us with a killer studio. And if you like the show, um, all I'm asking for, guys, is if you could leave us a review. If you leave a written review on uh, iTunes, that helps us out, too, because then we can we can actually see who gave us the review and give you guys the props and the thanks for it. We have uh, something very exciting coming up. Uh, I'm going to leak the beginning part of it right now. Um, let me get this out there uh, first and foremost. I talked to Kahuna about this. Um, we are going to maintain our uh, weekly style for a show. We, we might occasionally miss a week if we absolutely have to, we try not to, but uh, consider this the announcement that we will still give you at least four episodes a month, all right, for free, regular stuff there. And if you guys feel like it, in order to help us cut down on the cost of the studio, I don't want to tell you how much money I lose per episode, but giving you this passion project, I have so much fun with it, I try not to keep track, but we are at a point right now where it's financially irresponsible <laughs> um, to, to not try to at least uh, mitigate some costs. Um, so I think what we're gonna do is for $5 a, a month, uh, Patreon, you can get access to a fifth bonus episode. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll take a lot of the, the requests and stuff like that too. That'll be what we'll do for the uh, the bonus fifth episodes. We're gonna keep, it's gonna be the same great content as always. We're not gonna diminish the free stuff. We're not gonna cut anything off or anything. You're still getting the free show. But if you wanna help us out, just trying to you know keep, uh, just uh, the studio time's expensive. I'll just, just be honest. Just keep the lights on. <laughs> just yeah, <laughs> right, right. keep the lights on over here. Mike and Ming do take great care of us, but we gotta pay our boy the kahuna, all right? So you gotta take care of that guy. And uh, I want to keep this thing coming, so we're uh, we're going to announce that moving forward the Patreon. But like I said, that will not change anything. There is no paywall to it's access really the show as is. It's just bonus content if you guys are into it. And uh, I feel gross even having to do that. But you know, we got to do something, right, Dad? We're not selling out. Yeah. We're selling you. That's a, <laughs> that's a good line right there. Also, uh, yeah, Larry's got a timeshare in Florida. He's got to keep up with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, do I have a casting couch yeah. for this one. And uh, I'm going to throw back over real quickly before we wrap for uh, the end of the episode here. But stay tuned for that one, guys. Kahuna, who you got for the casting couch? All right, fellas. So... I I think I'm going to take the serious approach to it. We were joking through the episode. So if I were to make this movie, I would make it like a legit drama thriller type thing. Like an actual accounting tale of what happened with the Sultana. The war was over. Well, so they thought. Right. So I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? For our boy Hatch, I'm going to go with Kenneth Brown. Uh, this guy, he wrote and directed an amazing version of Hamlet back in the day. Said, Plus, he's a Brit, yeah. so he could definitely pull off them acting chops. Didn't he also direct <laughs> uh, Thor? Uh, yes, the first Thor movie yeah. and Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, which, he's a badass. In Murder of the, on the Orient Express, 
He has this excellent mustache. Oh, that's that's a Reuben Hatch if I ever saw one. Oh, there you go. So, Lieutenant Colonel Reuben Hatch. His acting chops, he can bring forth the mustache, which is 100% real, by the way. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And then for our Captain Mason, the he's an idiot, but we sympathize with him. He was broke. We've all been there. I understand it. I mean, you're still a fucking moron. But I'm going to go with Tim Blake Nelson for our boy Captain Mason. Where from. Are you from? Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Hey, there you go, And LP. Buster Scruggs. Oh, there you go. On, uh, from Ballad of Buster Scruggs, all by the Coen brothers. And he was also in the new Watchmen show, playing ah. Looking Glass. Because he's got that look, man. It's like, yeah, a little, a little stupid, but... I can do it for But, like, sympathize... But, like, sympathize... Like, I can sympathize with him. I was going to go Pee Wee Herman, so... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome aboard, everybody. It's Pee Wee Steamship. Ah! Wouldn't this make a great episode of the Three Stooges? Them running this one. Um, yeah, it's a, a really dark episode of uh, what was Steamboat Willie for Mickey Mouse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But holy hell, guys, we went over our time. We tried to keep it to uh, an hour on this one, but it's just too much information, too much fun. All right, but uh, you guys were awesome. Leave us those reviews if you want. Uh, American Loser Podcast on Instagram. KP Burke sucks on Instagram. KP Burke over on Facebook. I got dates coming up, guys. I keep everything updated there. I have to fire the guy who's running my website because I hate him. Um, but that being said, uh, not for nothing, guys. See, we saved it for the very there end. There you go. We got one. That was the Steamship Sultana, American Loser. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. Loser the day I was born